Today's episode of the Gold Cast is sponsored by another top 11 podcast. That's right. We are shifting over. We were going to do some gold dives, but unfortunately, the games we wanted mysteriously disappeared off YouTube. It was like someone was listening to us and they were trying to tell us, no, not today. So we are going to be shifting this week. We're going to be shifting into our top 11 Barrier sports villains. All right. And this, this is going to be leading into another one of our top 11 tournaments. And so we're going to be shifting out from just this. So here's going to be, here's the order. We're going to go from top 11 barrier sports villains, and then we're moving into top 11 cinematic villains. And Candlestick Will, why don't, can you break down for the people what the list is going to be for that little top 11 tournament that we're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to be breaking it down in different categories. We'll start with action movie villains. We'll be looking at superhero uh, movie villains as well as sci-fi. And we'll even get into horror. And then after all that, then we'll do the big finale episode where we share who are the top 11 greatest villains in movie history. Boom, there it is. So this is the beginning. This is, this is our little segue. We thought we'd start with another top 11 sports list. And then we're going to move into cinematic villains. So we're going to go from our, what do we feel, our real villains, the real sports villains of our teams into our cinematic villains. So this should be really fun. Now, before we get started, though, Raymond, why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can always like us on Facebook.com slash The Goldcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at The underscore Goldcast. And be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of The Gold Cast. Like, subscribe, and comment because we certainly want to get your feedback on who you think are the greatest Bay Area sports villains of all time. Yeah. Now, Candlestick Will, where can they get a hold of us to talk directly about our top 11 episodes? Well, the easiest way is to go on Twitter, at top 11 podcast so top one one podcast or they can just message any of us on twitter or anywhere else um to let us know what they think absolutely and raymond where can they find you um you can find me on twitter at ray solis that's r-a-y-s-o-l-i-s and on instagram at ray solis one that's the number one not the not the word spelling canistic will where can they find you they can find me on twitter at Candlestick Will. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at I am Rudy Third. I am Rudy Three R D. All right, here we go. The first entry into our villains. I guess we're going to call this Villains Villains Week and Villains Weeks with an S because we'll be going into multiple weeks with this uh, with our with our top eleven tournament of villains. But today is our intro episode, which is just our top eleven. Bayer sports villains of all time. Here we go. But first, the greatest podcast intro in the game. The Goldcast intro. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? ready? This is the Goldcast. Boom. Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III. And with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis the first, baby. And our esteemed co-hosts. Candle, stick, will. Boom! 
All right, guys. Here we go. Our top 11 Bay Area sports villains. Why don't, Council, why don't you say you, you, you usually are the, the gentleman who sends us off. You're the, you're the courier of these episodes, the main host. Why don't, can you talk a little bit about just the overall uh, creation of this? Because it, it is a little broad. And, uh, but obviously we're segueing into our top 11 cinematic villains tournament from this. But let's just talk a little bit about the, the creation of this list, how, how you went about formulating just this idea as a concept. Well, we were kind of playing with some ideas for what we wanted to do next. And so since we were kind of shifting to um, some ideas for movies, we figured, well, if we're going to do a villains podcast, then we should do sports villains before we shift into that. I think that makes a lot of sense as an easy segue. But, you know, whether it's the Niners, the Warriors, the Giants in the Bay Area, if you love those teams, there's players and teams that you just despise because they're your rivals. They're the teams that you constantly face in the finals or constantly face in the Super Bowl or wh- or whatever the case may be. And so those rivalries, those NFC championship games, you know, all those kind of things can really bring out the, you know, the other side of, of passion. You know, we, we all love our teams, but there's that other side too. And so we, we love to boo the people that we put on our lists. And, you know, the, the, to me, the best thing about the Top 11 podcast is how biased it is and how subjective it is and that it's a, it usually becomes a very personal list instead of just a straightforward, like, no, I did some research and this is who everyone hates the most. Like, no, it's who do you hate the most? You know, who do you boo the most? Who, who do you love to see fail against your team? Um, the most. And so I think when you get that personal, then the list can become pretty cool. And it also will feed into uh, our listeners being able to kind of create their own list in that way. I love it. Absolutely. I agree. So why don't we, as always, we start off with Raymond. You're the first one. Let us know, Raymond, who is your 11 through eight? All right. At number 11, I've got Choi Percival who played for the Anaheim Angels. I've got Choi Gloss, also a member of the Anaheim Angels. I've got Dave Stewart, who I actually like, for the Oakland Athletics. And at number eight, I've got Russell Wilson of the Seattle Seahawks. Wow, Russell Wilson coming in early. (laughs) 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 All right, I've got Tom Landry. At number 11 for the Dallas Cowboys. I've got the Bash Brothers, Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco of the Oakland A's. At number 9, Greg Popovich of the San Antonio Spurs. And at number 8, who I also really like, (laughs) um, Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys. Kenneth Will, what about you? So at number 11, I've got Scott Cousins of the Marlins and Aaron Baines of the Suns. At number 10, I have Jose Cruz Jr. and Solomon Torres of the Giants. At number 9, I have Nephi Perez of the Rockies. And at number 8, I have another tie between Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook of the Rockets slash Clippers slash Thunder. That's pretty good. That's, yeah, Chris Paul, that's good. So, Ray, where, where do you want to go next? What, uh, who do you want to focus on? Well, Troy Percival was the closer for the Anaheim Angels, and basically he was, you know, pretty instrumental in dismantling the Giants in the 2002 World Series, which also went to seven games. 
and he had three saves in that series, which is pretty huge. The the eleven to ten save in game two, he had the six to five save in game six, and also the infamous um, four to one save in game seven. So that's why I had him there because I couldn't stand him. I couldn't stand the Angels. Troy Gloss was there just because, again, this is another player that did some damage in the World Series. Um, you know, he had some some big hits and some key moments to put the uh, put the Angels ahead, especially in Game Six, which was a closeout game for the Giants after winning sixteen to four in Game Five. Troy Gloss had a monster double that scored a run and put them up six to five, which would end up being the final score. That's why I had him there. Dave Stewart, I actually really like Dave Stewart. He's a really good pitcher. He won 20 games for four straight years. He's incredibly, really, really good. I've never seen a pitcher win. I don't, I don't, I don't know if there is a pitcher in MLB history that won 20 straight four times or won 20 games four straight years. I, I, I'm not going to fact check myself on that, but I just know that I had his baseball card. <laughs> That's how much I liked him because I liked the A's in the in the 80s and 90s. So this was kind of a, I, I, enjoy, I. It, it was one of those I had him there because it's like if I had to pick a villain from this infamous time when we were at a championship and we lost, who would that person be? And Dave Stewart was really the only person that kind of stood out to me in that series, even though I, I loved that entire team in 89. And I also love the Giants, you know, obviously. But but since this, since we're trying to pick out villains that were infamous, you know, Dave Stewart was the winning pitcher in game one and he was also the winning, winning pitcher in game three. No one else really showed up in the stats as much as Dave Stewart did throughout this series. Um, Dennis Eckersley only had to save one game, which was games four. And that was that was just because it was three runs or less, which is the rule that he, that qualifies for a save opportunity in baseball. So I wasn't going to put him on the list because he really didn't do much. That was the only game he played. He, he obviously had monster seasons and... And such, but uh, Dave Stewart was instrumental in this series in particular, even more so than the Bash Brothers. Although the Bash Brothers, you know, were certainly killers in their own right, just offensively. Uh, I Russell Wilson, I have there just because a lot, a lot of for the same reasons that Rudy hates Russell Wilson, I hate his face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hate his face. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like his face. You know, he. You don't even see has, his face. He has a helmet on. I know, but. You know, the, if only he could keep it on all the time. There's something about that face that uh, that just rubs me the wrong way. Uh, you know, he, the fact that uh, that he was again, he was the quarterback for the team that knocked us out of the Super Bowl in 2012. Or uh, yeah, to, or no, uh, 2013 for the repeat. 2013, 2014 for the repeat. Um, that was really, really frustrating. And of course, Richard Sherman. You know, had a had a mouth on him that was talking all kinds of shit to uh, Michael Crabtree, but it was more Russell Wilson just because he was someone that needed to get stopped that couldn't get stopped when we needed to get him stopped, and you know he's just got a flair about him that is able to keep plays. He's better now than he was then, that's for sure. Especially this past season, he 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 was definitely playing at an MVP level, but um, it was just annoying annoying to watch him beat us in in a pivotal game that was really going to propel us back and to get us into a, a revenge opportunity to to win the Super Bowl that you know we could have definitely won the, the year prior but yeah that's why I had him there at eight 
Uh, he could have been higher. He could have been higher, but you know, you know, and he's he's definitely been a, a reoccurring villain. But my list kind of focused more on the biggest games that villains, where where villains, existing villains or villains were born because they either uh, they 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 took something pivotal from us in a pivotal game, or they were just a reoccurring villain, you know, throughout throughout the history of the team. Um, which I do have a couple of those guys there, but a lot of the guys on this list are people that that have been uh, involved in in big games. Rudy, what about you? Well, I will say maybe Russell Wilson will show up higher on someone else's list. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, maybe I maybe maybe I we'll, we'll see. The, the The episode is still young. So uh, at number eleven, I went with Tom Landry, the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys, you could probably argue for the 49ers dynasty of the 80s and 90s as easily probably being the most important and uh, strongest villain that they had to deal with. They had to best Tom Landry's Dallas Cowboys in uh, in 1981, and this they had lost at this point. I think there was they had lost at three or four. We've talked about it in other episodes in uh, the Gold Dives, three or four. Um, playoff like runs in a row for the Niners, like in a row, like from the seventies to eighty one. Virtually every playoff appearance they'd had, they'd lost. The Cowboys bounced them out, and I believe twice was in the NFC Championship. This was, I think, believe at this point it was at their third meeting was um the catch in nineteen eighty one, and I thought that the the this was best personified by Tom Landry the coach he was the coach for for that team from 1960 to 1988 and so i needed a figurehead and i thought let's go with Tom Landry let's go with the one constant um during during that run and so i chose him at number 11 and uh, again i mean i think the cowboys are easily you know one of the most important sports villains i kind of this whole decade kept waiting because they were knocking on the door too i kept waiting for a Cowboys 49ers playoff uh, game. I was positive we were going to get it sometime between 2011 and 2019. We never did, uh, especially when they got really good with Dak and, and uh, kind of the whole upgrading of that team. But I would not be surprised if in the next one or two years we get one good Cowboy 49ers playoff game. I would love to play them again. I think that'd be awesome. But I started with T- Tom Landry. Then the Bash Brothers. Uh, Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco of the Oakland A's in particular, as Raymond had already mentioned for the Earthquake series. But just, our, I mean, same as you mentioned, Raymond, like as a kid, I thought they were super dope. But as a as a fan, you know. I had their baseball cards too. Oh, man. I mean, I must have saw that poster of them back to back with the bats. I mean, it's like I feel like every kid had that and had a poster of Will Clark, like everybody. Everybody in the Bay had both those posters. Um, but, if, but because I... Do not root for the A's as an adult, and I am squarely in all my teams play in San Francisco or or based out of San Francisco like the 49ers. I, I, was, I was like, well, this is a pretty easy one for, uh, for number 10. And I also kind of went more for the legacy older ones in my, my original brackets. I was going a little bit by, by time and by relevance here. Uh, at number nine, easily probably the villain – on this list that I like the most. I actually love Greg Popovich. Uh, I, I really, really liked the San Antonio Spurs. I enjoyed rooting for them 
uh, every playoff run when they were the best team out there that could actually defeat the Miami Heat when LeBron was on there. And uh, and I loved rooting for them. But as we talked about on our top 11 Warriors uh, games of all time, if you haven't heard that, it's on the feed. Just go a little bit further down and uh, top 11 best Warriors games of the decade. The Warriors had to get through Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs. And I, I don't know. I mean, you could put Tim Duncan. I mean, you know, you, you you could probably put Tim Duncan in that spot. But I mean, I, I really feel like Greg Popovich is is more the face of that franchise than anyone else. It is his genius. It, it is his level of coaching as a tactician that really makes the Spurs what they are. His ability to uh, to do what he's done for so long. I think he is just the figurehead that you you really had to point to. And so that's who I put at. I lovingly put at number nine out of great respect, and at. Number eight, a villain I still don't like, and uh, and uh, is Jerry Jones, another Dallas Cowboy, the owner, and really his run goes from 1988 through the present. But uh, you know, uh, but I really, really was emphasizing the 90s. You know, the the Niners. If you think about if there's no if there's no Cowboys uh, led by Jerry Jones, a there's probably isn't a salary cap, which would have which was what we were using. To uh, we were Yankee balling it by the end of the '80s. You know, we had one of the largest payrolls, and we could afford to pay players at a level that other NFL teams couldn't. And Jerry Jones proposed uh, and helped push the salary cap in an attempt to stop the 49ers. Uh, I guess you're welcome, NFL. That's what we did there, and uh, it worked. It worked well. And but if you get rid of Jerry Jones and those Cowboys, the Niners are probably sitting at I would say seven. Seven, seven Super Bowls, probably almost for sure. I, I think, I think we win all three, and we probably go to three in a row. Uh, and so, I definitely, I definitely put him at my number eight, as because you know Jerry Jones was not fond of the Niners, and his entire, his entire being in that in that '90s era was to build a team to defeat us and to become the best team in in the NFL. And they never made that a secret. Michael Irving, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, nobody, that was not a secret. They didn't hide that from anybody. Their entire goal was to take the crown from the Niners. And, uh, and they managed to do it two out of three battles. So that was, uh, definitely, I had to put Jerry Jones at, uh, at number eight as another one of my legacy, uh, legacy villains here. Candlestick Will, what about you? So uh, number 11, uh, Scott Cousins of the Marlins um, in 2011 uh, slid into Buster Posey's leg and broke his leg. Um, Aaron That's Baines this, this season um, broke uh, Steph Curry's hand. And uh, neither one was intentional. You know, even, even though Scott Cousins was trying to score from, from third and, you know, make a hard slide, he wasn't trying to – he didn't have an intent to injure um, – uh, Buster Posey, but he did. And Aaron Baines certainly wasn't trying to injure Steph Curry, but he did. So to me, I think it's when you're talking about villains, sometimes it's uh, it's not even so much about intent as it's just about results and and perception becomes reality. So those two, those two guys end up being connected forever to Buster Posey losing his season uh, to a broken leg and, um, Steph Curry essentially losing his season to a broken hand, especially with what's happened now with the, uh, delay, um, where basically Steph Curry played like three games, um, all year. So, uh, so those are my 11, um, number 10, I had Scott Cruz and Solomon Torres 
two uh, very infamous um, giants who had, um, you know, not so much for what they did for the Giants, but what they didn't do. Um, Jose Cruz Jr., gold glove right fielder for the Giants in 2003, drops a routine fly ball uh, against the against the Marlins uh, in the playoffs that ends up losing us the, that series in a year where we were in first place the entire season. And Jose Cruz was a big part of that. And then in the biggest moment of the playoffs, he chokes. And then Solomon Torres was uh, thrown at the Wolves of the 93 season to be the starting pitcher against the, the Dodgers on game 162. And he gave up like 47 homers to Mike Piazza <laughs> and uh, ruined our 103-win season. Um, probably has as much to do with the wild card being a thing as, as any other player, for that matter. Um, you know, as a, Although I will say that it had the... Um, you know, had we had we gone to the playoffs, they still would have been a wild card because 103 teams still 103 win teams still would have lost uh, out on the playoffs. Um, and then number nine, Nephi Perez, um, not as well known of a moment uh, in Giants history, but he was a you know 110 pounds soaking wet shortstop for the Rockies, and he's at the plate versus Rob Nen in 1998, last game of the season. The Giants win the game and they go to the playoffs. They lose the game. They have to go to Chicago in, in a one-game playoff to decide who goes to the playoffs. That realization happened like a half inning earlier when it was, you know, because of a, a, a loss in another game. All of a sudden it was like, well, all the Giants need to do now is win and they're in. And what felt like the very next pitch, Nephi Perez hits a home run off Rob Nen, who's our reliable closer. And suddenly we have to go to Chicago and try to get in the playoffs, and we lose. So if it wasn't for a 110-pound soaking wet shortstop, uh, you know, who actually ended up becoming a giant for a short time, um, we make the playoffs outright in '98. So, um, so that's number nine, and then number eight, a tie between uh, CP3 and Westbrook. You know, easy. It's easy to to have villains who are talented. You know, I think a lot of times. Villains come out of, you know, in the, in these examples, it comes out of a huge moment in a team's history, whether it's a making the playoffs or missing the playoffs. You know, you, like you, you mentioned, you know, sometimes it's just the guys who, who show up on, uh, on the biggest stage, whether that's a Dave Stewart who dominated or whether it's just a guy like a Nephi Perez who has one, one swing um, with Chris Paul and Westbrook. They've been, you know, dominant players for a decade and in that in that time, they faced off against the Warriors several times, and uh, they're easy guys to root against when they're playing your favorite team. Um, they're obviously two of the most talented point guards to ever play the game in in, in basketball history, but um, they're super easy to root against when they're facing your favorite team. So, of the of the NBA players that I had to choose from. There, I think there's only one other guy uh, higher than those two um, on my list, and um, and we'll we'll hear about him eventually. I have, I have a feeling it might be the same guy for several of us. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so Ray, what do you got for uh, four through seven? So at number seven, I've got Joe Flacco of the Baltimore Ravens. Ooh, that's a good one. Damn. That's good. <laughs> At number six, I've got <laughs> Alvin Harper for the Dallas Cowboys. At number five, I've got 
Jerry Jones. I've got him much higher on my list. Yeah. <laughs> and at number four, this one, uh, you've got to really, I think you've got to really do something. Just, to me, uh, number four, I've got Kyle Williams, who's actually a 49er. Oh, <laughs> Kyle Williams. Man, Raymond, you really you really killed it on this uh, this next section of your list. I've got Kyle Williams for obvious reasons for those of you who are diehard Niner fans, but That's we'll rough. obviously get into the details. That's... I had to. I had to. All right, Rudy, uh, follow that up. Man, I, I am not going to even remotely touch how amazing that list was, but it it's uh it's 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 funny. It's good and it's funny. Brett Favre of the Green Bay Packers at number seven. At number six, NBA Twitter from <laughs> from 2016 <laughs> to 2019. Number five. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> number five, Clayton Kershaw of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And number four, Pete Carroll of the Seattle Seahawks. That's a really good one, too, though. Thank you. I can't stand the way Pete Carroll looks either. Chewing that <laughs> gum with that smirk on his face. Oh, it's, wor- it's worse than Mike Holmgren. At least Holmgren was a former, like, uh, Niner assistant. Well, the only, you know, the only, the only grace I'll give. Well, Pete so, Carroll so was Carroll. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, gonna yeah, say he was, he was a native, and he played under, or he coached under Walsh. Mike Holmgren is a native too. <clears throat> All right, so, uh, so for number seven, um, I have uh, literally every LA Dodger since 1987. <laughs> wow. <laughs> At number six, I have Matt Latos of the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, at number five, I have uh, A.J. Perzinski, um, who played for the Giants for one year. And at number four, I have Scott Spezio of the Anaheim Angels. Uh, those are That's good, too. Uh, LA, every L.A. Dodger since 1989, is that what you said? 87. Since their last World Series? No, well, 88's their last World Series, yeah. but 87's yeah. when I started watching baseball. Ah. <laughs> uh. I figured instead of trying to pick one, I'd just lump them all together. You might not be alone in that decision either later. These are great lists. <laughs> Ray, Ray, what let's uh let's break down your epic four through seven. Well, Joe Flacco for the two thousand twelve Super Bowl. The the this is a guy who's been mediocre at best his entire career. But on this game he's twenty two for thirty three for two hundred and eighty seven yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Only got sacked twice. This guy had all the time in the world to throw in this game. And and they torched us in the first half of this game. Even the, the second half started off with a kick return. It was horrible. And I've got him there. Cause, and, and that's just that's the only time he was ever good. That's the only time. And it, it happened to be good enough to win a championship. And he's just one of those players that played better in 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 the few games that he was involved with there or the one time that he went to the big show, he played, he played great football. So, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, I, I even think, uh, what's his name? Uh, the kid who played with, uh, who won the Super Bowl against Brady, Nick Foles. I think Nick Foles is better than Joe Flacco. Alvin Harper, because he was the big killer for us in the NFC championship games in 92 and 93. And it wasn't until we got Deion Sanders that we came up with the strategy to really take him out to have to have our best corner, who was Deion Sanders in '94, 
play against Alvin Harper to take him out of the equation and then put Eric Davis, who is considered our, our weakest corner, although that was his best year as a pro, and put him against Michael Irving. And he even got a pick six in the opening play of that game to start off. In fact, he had a better game than Deion Sanders in that game. He had a, he had a fumble and a pick six in the first quarter. He was monster in that game. And we also had safety safety support on Michael Irving. So Eric Davis was getting safety support because we knew that Deion Sanders could go one-on-one against Alvin Harper. So we took him out. And I put Alvin Harper on that list, even though I like Alvin Harper because he's more understated. He was like the John Taylor uh, of that team in that era. You know, understated but productive and reliable. And Jerry Jones, I've got on there for the same. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, Rudy. The reason for you know Jerry Jones was the the big uh, proprietor for the free agency um, rule in order to stifle the Niners' success. It, it obviously we were still successful after that, but not to the degree of we that the same way we were uh, in the in the decade prior. And so I had him there just because, you know, it's like, you know, you know, like when Tom when Tom Brady bitched about the stupid uh, the the rule, the, the as Greg Papa calls it, what is it? The, the tuck you, tuck you, tuck you rule. Um, and uh, and Kyle Williams, I've got there for obvious reasons. This guy fumbled twice in an NFC championship game against the New York Giants. And to me, that play is is part of the memory of which I would not like to have have so clearly embedded in my in my brain, but it is. And so I, I put him up there real high just because that was a big one. It's like because it, we had the Giants beat in my uh, from what I recall. I don't go and watch these games uh, very often ever. So I remember that he was the reason we lost that game, not because of any other reason. Um, you know what I remember most about those two plays it's not even the plays it's the meme that came out after of kyle williams where they superimposed the lombardi trophy over where the football was oh. that's actually what i remember the most now is that because that's exactly how i feel i just watched the lombardi bounce away because i don't believe those patriot team that patriot team was capable of beating us no at all i think that defense would have destroyed tom brady we would have steamrolled the patriots Steam, i wasn't even remotely scared of them not at all no so yeah i mean i'm still happy that they lost but i'm not i'm not happy that they went there instead of us cuz we could have easily stolen we could have been the team to steal it was one of the two super bowl losses out of tom's hands all right rudy Break down your four through seven. All right. This is my last of the legacy ones, which is uh, Brett Favre. The The 90s is is easily, you know, the, the most what-if decade for the 49ers, I think, only to be rivaled by this decade of what-ifs. Like, this this decade and the 90s have been really rough. Like, the, the two teams that stood in front of the 49ers – in the 90s, it was the Cowboys in the first half and then the Packers in the second half. And I thought that none of that was more personified than Brett Favre. I thought he was the real the real face of those Packers teams that prevented the Niners from advancing into the Super Bowl, um, you know, into further into the playoffs with a chance at winning the Super Bowl. And uh, it really wasn't until the catch two that they were able to finally best 
best uh, Brett Favre, but I, I I had to put him in here because it's just my childhood. It's kind of really where I started. I'm like, who are the, these these whole this whole first half is really for them outside of Greg Popovich are like the the guys that kept me up at night as a kid, you know, and the people I oh, whenever I think of my childhood, I'm like, these are the guys I hated the most. Um, number six, NBA Twitter. So fucking salty. Actually, I just got into an argument last yesterday with a bunch of with a, I don't even know what I don't even know what teams these people root for half the time um, over the KD signing. And uh, I, I know you've said this and I've said it before, too. Like, I don't really lose sleep over 2016. I don't really care. I've got three rings, you know, and and uh, and, you know, NBA Twitter loves to complain about Kevin Durant and loves to to, to say that we're, they we're super soft. It was a super soft signing as if anybody else's team wouldn't have done the same thing in our exact same position. OK, uh, and not only that, uh, for the Lakers and the Celtics have been doing it for 30 years. Literally, this is all they've ever done. This is the, their entire philosophy is to sign either either draft the biggest players they can get or sign the biggest players they can get. They literally just did this. The, the Lakers just did this again for the millionth time. But for some reason, when the Warriors do what the Celtics and the Lakers have done, we're the worst team of all time. And uh, I think none of it personifies it better than NBA Twitter. Uh, so salty. And uh, I am totally fine with the 2016 loss. It's like, it, I mean, I, you know, I've lost two Super Bowls. Uh, I've lost more NFC championships than any other team in NFL history. Uh, I, I can live. I can live with this loss. You know, we've lost several World Series. It's fine. You know, we got the three. We are uh, probably the greatest NBA team ever assembled. Us, it's us and the Bulls. You know, and I, I can live with that. Uh, but NBA Twitter is easily at number six. It's just the saltiest. And, and yeah, no matter how many times we say, no, we really don't care, and uh, it's all good, and we're fine with KD signing. I'm just bummed he left, to be honest. I, I, I would have rather he just stayed. But outside of that, like, I'm fine. But NBA, NBA Twitter wants so badly for us to not feel that way. But uh, easily, easily one of the greatest villains we've had to deal with. Uh, Clayton Kershaw. Uh, just for the Los Angeles Dodgers, you know, uh, starting pitcher has been there from 2008 to now. Man, easily, easily the I feel like, you know, he is the face that embodies that team. He has made our regular seasons a living hell. We've made his regular seasons a living hell, too. It's not exactly like it's been uh, completely lopsided, but he does own more wins over us than we have over him. And uh, the. The only satisfying thing that I we have over Clayton Kershaw is his absolutely dismal performances, his consistently year after year after year after year, his dismal performances in the postseason. And uh, if it if he if he was successful in the postseason, oh man, this guy might be at number one or two or three. And uh, the the reason he's at five is because he just you know he he luckily he has never been able to turn. Uh, his dominance over us into something he could repeat in the postseason, and then at number four, Pete Carroll, uh, and the, the as the Seahawks head coach, he's been there from 2010 to now. I think this is without question the best rivalry of the last 10 years. This is the closest thing we've had in the NFL to Niners Cowboys of the 90s. These have been these two teams when they've both been good. There have been there a there has there haven't been two other teams that have been this good this many times in this past decade, and these guys the the NFL has hung in the balance 
several times, 2013 especially, 2012 was kind of the come up to that, but 2013 especially, 2019 especially, you got the 100th season, final game of the year of the 100th season, these two teams going at it to determine who was going to be number one in the NFC West and in the NFC completely coming down to the final play, like this and this guy is the mastermind of that team. And so I had to put him at number four. There may be someone higher, but he's definitely at number four for me. Uh, uh, just there's the guides that drive me nuts. Uh, but I will say, Raymond, your list opened a lot of wounds that I think I forgot about. <laughs> You're that I'm middle. Trying to salt any wounds here. <laughs> this was just as painful for me to relive these memories and pick these people out. As as it was to 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 just to even just to even say their names, uh, man. I you really you really, and you know, and funny they're all football guys. He went Flacco, Harper, Jones, and Williams, and all of all four of these guys have ripped our hearts out, <laughs> our forty nine er hearts out. Uh, that was a pretty a pretty nasty. That's like there's nothing but emoji tears for me. But uh but yeah, that's those are my guys there, seven through four. How about you, Candlestick? Will uh break us down your list. Yeah, so seven I had every Dodger since I started watching baseball and, and you know it's it it's the perfect rivalry. You know, the Giants and Dodgers have been rivals forever. They were in New York together, they came here in fifty eight together. Um fans uh, of the two teams have always, you know, gone head to head, you know, the Seahawks and Niners are, are relatively new rivalry. Um, you know, even though they've been in the same division now for a while, you know, the giants and Dodgers have been linked the same way the Red Sox and Yankees have been linked, you know, just forever. They're, they're up there with army Navy with, you know, Duke, North Carolina as just one of the, the staple rivalries. And so it's any player wearing a Dodgers Jersey, becomes a villain and it's not you know like i you know i like Curling kershaw like he's actually one of the best human beings in baseball history he wears 22 because he loved will clark growing up like there's actually a lot to like about kershaw plus the fact that he does always choke in the playoffs actually makes him enjoyable yes <laughs> yeah his complete yeah. and utter domination of the giants in the regular season is frustrating but knowing that it leads to absolutely nothing is very satisfying and so, so Kershaw doesn't need to be on the, on my list for that reason. Like I don't need to hate him because he ends up doing exactly what I need him to do when it counts the most. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to root against him anytime he's pitching against the Giants more than I'm going to root against a guy for the Padres or a guy for the Rockies or a guy for the Diamondbacks. It's just, that's just the way it is. So for me, you know, if you're a Dodger, you're a villain. It's just part of the package, and so that's that's kind of my rationale there. These next three are all you know um, guys that Giants fans loathe. Um, Matt Latos literally would sign baseball saying, "I hate San Francisco, I hate SF." Um, that's how much he disliked the the Giants when he was a Padre. Um, he made some other comments, you know, coming out and being a, you know anti Giants for different reasons. So he was just easy to to hate. Um, but you know, similar to what I just mentioned about Kershaw, uh, his grant, the grand slam he gave up against Buster Posey, um, in the playoffs in 2012 really kind of buried him for the rest of the time. I mean, he's not, he's no longer a a factor in, in, in baseball and, uh, Posey really kind of ended his career in a way, um, 
in that in that game. So there was some you know kind of a villain justice um, in that uh, in that moment. But he's a guy that you know if he was to try to make a comeback or if he was you know managing somewhere or, or coaching somewhere, I would I'd still hate him. Um, uh, the next guy, AJ Przinsky, um played for the Giants for a year. Um, he was in maybe the most lopsided worst trade in Giants history. Um, certainly that we had some, some worse trades. We traded Orlando Cepeda and Gaylord Perry and a couple other hall of famers over time. But in recent history, they gave up Joe Nathan, who became a, a stud closer. They gave up Francisco Lariano, who became a stud pitcher and they gave up Boost Bonzer, who ended up being productive for the twins initially. So we gave the twins, you know, three very good pitchers on a team that we had that didn't have that much pitching and we get AJ Brzezinski for one year, and then he bounces in free agency. Um, to give some context, we had a backup catcher in Yorvi Torialba, who we, if we had just given him the job, then we don't need to trade any of those pitchers. Um, Brzezinski didn't do very well for the Giants in that one year, and then he immediately leaves and goes to the Chicago White Sox, and they win the World Series. So it was just kind of a perfect storm of hate as a Giant fan. Like, you get this guy for a bunch of pitchers that could have helped us. They end up being really good for the team that, you know, they go to. Um, we get nothing out of it and lose. And we end up losing Tori Alba too to free agency because he realized he didn't have a job here. He ends up having a decent career as a catcher for a lot of years. So it's like, you see all this happen. You're like, why did we go after him in the first place? Like that, what a terrible decision um, to do that in the first place. And then, you know, there were some stories about him not, not really helping the the pitchers with their uh, game plans and stuff like that. So he's just an easy guy to hate. Um, he's lit, literally the guy on the in Giants history that wore a Giants uniform that I hate. I don't really hate any other Giants, even the guys like Jose Cruz Jr., Solomon Torres, Nephi Perez, those guys. I, I I hate that moment, but I don't hate those people. I don't hate those players. I hate AJ Brzezinski. He's a shit talker. He's a big shit talker too. Oh yeah, and. And, and and to me, like I said, just the fact that the he did nothing for us, and then he ends up being like an anchor piece for the White Sox to win the World Series that very next year. It was just like, just screw him in every possible way. Like he's he's just easily the the guy I hate the most that's ever touched the Giants uniform. Um, and then the last guy on my list uh, for this round is Scott Spezio. Yeah, Ray, you mentioned Troy Gloss and Troy Percival from the Angels um, in that 2002 playoffs. Scott Spezio is our Bucky fucking Dent, you know, the guy that just fucking had to hit a home run off Felix Rodriguez and and had to ruin everything about game six that was supposed to be perfect. Um, just a little context for me, like when Bonds hits the home run in that game to go up 5-0, I jump up in my, off the couch and say, we're going to win the World Series. And then Russell Ortiz gets taken out and they give him the game ball and then here comes Scott Spezio against Felix Rodriguez with two men on, and he hits a three-run homer, and the fucking rally monkey, and just just fuck the fuck the 2002 Angels. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott Spezio wasn't even a big power guy. I mean, he had some pop. He had decent pop. If Troy Gloss hits a home run, it's like, and, it's, and you kind of alluded to it, like he had a big series. He was the MVP of that series. Like he was, he was also a very good power hitter. Right. So even though it's easy to hate a guy like that. At least it came from someone who was an all who had made some all star teams. That was a you know really good player. Was their best hitter, 
You know, when it's someone like Scott fucking Spezio. Spezio had a couple years with the A's. So does Scott Brocious. <laughs> but it's like when, when it's someone like that in playoff history, you know, where it's like you, you, you think of the name Aaron Boone and you only think of the one home run that he hit because he didn't do much else in his career, but he has that one home run. You know, even for Giants fans, like, you know, I'm, I'm sure Cardinals hate Travis Ishikawa. Yeah. Or Cody Ross, who's who's one of those guys that just turned it on in the playoffs. I'm sure there's plenty of Braves fans and Phillies fans who hate Cody Ross. And, you know, so it's like it just when he, when you're a guy who doesn't have that many big moments in your, you know, in your life, you know, I'm sure there's Dodger fans that hate Brian Johnson for what he did, you know, in 97. So, you know, that just it comes with the territory. But, you know, sometimes, like I said, it's a guy um, – you know, like a Westbrook or a Chris Paul, where they, you've got a you've got a long history with them, uh, or it's someone like Scott Spezio who has that just one swing, and that's enough to just be a villain forever. Um, and uh, in 2002, for any any for any Giants fan who's been a Giants fan for a long time, 2002 still hurts because you, we were up we were up three two and up five zero in in that game six. So it's. That's a that's a tough one. You know, you mentioned Rudy just a second ago about how Warrior fans don't really worry about so much about 2016. Giants fans won three rings this this decade, and we still we still hate 2002. We still don't like to talk about it. So it's uh you know this 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 podcast is certainly opening up some old wounds. It's like a therapy session right now. We're not going to heal, but we're trying to heal. <laughs> so. so what do we got for some uh, honorable mentions? Um, I um. I got uh, AJ Przinsky on my honorable mention. Okay, but uh, just because uh, he's an asshole, I mean, but he 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 was uh, a St. Louis Cardinal in 2014 when uh, when the when the Giants uh, beat them, uh, and he was horrible then. He didn't do anything offensively. He batted 167 in that series, and I think he was. Uh, yeah, he he they they beat the Dodgers in the series before that. But um, he was the, the the main one. I also had um, Ed Reed because he had a big pick in the Super Bowl against Colin Kaepernick. And I, I honestly, um, I I added um, as we were all talking, uh, and you guys were bringing up names that uh, you know I hadn't thought of. You know, I was, or, or we were just revisiting moments that I hadn't thought of. You know, I uh, I I decided to put uh, Pete Carroll on that uh, that honorable mention list as well. Just that that gum chewing smirk. <laughs> he still does that shit today, all the time. Do, do you have you have you like stopped chewing gum just because of him? <laughs> I do it to spite him because I can do it better. I can chew gum better than you. God damn it. <laughs> Chew the hell out of that gum. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Turns to dust after every game. And it's only when I work out. That's the only time I chew gum. <laughs> when I'm at the gym. <laughs> what about you, Rudy? What's your uh, who's, Who made your honorable mention? So at number three, it's a team that I have historically rooted for, but uh, currently is completely on hold uh, until a certain player is no longer on that team, and maybe they'll show up soon. Uh, at number three is the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, as number three, and that's a, it's a team I've always loved, but it's easily, easily, you know, the most dominant uh, basketball team of the modern era. The the team, the team that has consistently done what the Warriors have done for thirty years, and the one time we do it, 
we have been uh, crucified ever since uh, for following a pattern that has literally just been done again by them, by the Los Angeles Lakers, just this past, just the beginning of the season. So uh, that that they easily are on my honorable mentions. But because it is a team that I historically have really loved and rooted, um, I put them on honorable men- mentions. Number two. Oh, you guys are going to love this one. The 12th man. From the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> uh, I can't think of anything less impressive than a fan base that be- that tr- that cheers so hard in an effort to disrupt another team. Uh, I am very proud of the fact that the 49ers do not need my help to win games. And the fact that that was a thing, and that's a thing that they're proud of, I think is pretty lame. N- yeah, next to those god-awful uniforms. Yeah, as a fan base. Like, uh, the 49ers will never need my cheering to help them win a game. And I'm okay with that. I'm actually proud of that. That's how professional sports works. And then at number one, uh, this does kind of tie in a little bit, uh, Raymond, to to your Kyle Williams one a little bit. At number one, the New York Giants during the postseason. And uh, there's actually several of these. There's actually several major times the Giants have kind of ruined our chances at another Super Bowl, but the two that really stick out to me are 1990 to three-peat after the 89 Super Bowl, and then the 2011, uh, those two NFC championships being the worst examples of the New York Giants. Uh, uh, Postseason New New York Giants is in my honorable mentions. They're not quite the Cowboys. It wasn't as prominent, but I mean, easily... Easily right there. It's like you've, if you want to go number one and number two, you'd have to go Cowboys as postseason greatest postseason rival for us, and then number two, New York Giants. Like no question. Even though we, it's like we, no one ever thinks about it. But when you really look through the '80s, uh, and then and then through that 2011 one, it's like damn, they've they've been there. They've knocked us out at least like four times at like some major games. And I know two two of these NFC championships. I've got to look back at my notes of the. There might be another NFC Championship. I think the other ones were maybe divisional and regular, but that ninety, I mean, we go, we're going to win. There's, there, you know, we we had that three peat in the bag, and 2011, we we said that too. I mean, I don't I don't think Patriots are getting past us. I think that defense turns Tom Brady's life into a living hell. Um, you know, they lost anyways, but yeah, for sure, those are those are my three. Uh, what about you, Candlestick? Well, who's your honorable mentions? So I had. Uh... One of the worst uh, recent trades in Giants history, um, in San Francisco Giants history, uh, trading for Casey McGahee, who was, didn't even last like he lasted like two months. Um, they could have just given the job to Matt Duffy, who ended up uh, coming in second for Rookie of the Year that year. Um, might win, might have won Rookie of the Year um, had he started from day one, and maybe was st- you know maybe in a butterfly effect kind of way might have s- still been a Giant. Um, you know, had had that happened. Also, to trade for Casey McGahee, we gave up Luis Castillo, who's one of the best pitchers in baseball now for the Reds. So just similar to the A.J. Pruszynski trade and just that, like, everything about it ended up being bad. Um, and uh, so, but, you know, that wasn't that wasn't as big as some of the other ones I mentioned. Um, just all of the, the – the next one is just all of the Warriors' terrible draft decisions. Joe Smith, Todd Fuller, Donald Foyle trifecta – where we could have had KG, we could have had Kobe, and we could have had Tracy McGrady. Um, just some, just all the bums, the Ike Diagos, the Patrick O'Briens. I mean, they're just so many bums. Um, the other part of that is the just the the shit trades that the Warriors made forever. 
Um, specifically, the one I wanted to kind of focus on was, so everyone remembers the We Believe team and everyone remembers the Run TMC team. Well, the the Run TMC team, it might be the most disgusting collection of trades in NBA history because if you look at those three players, so Chris Mullins, a Hall of Famer, we trade him to Indiana for Eric Dampier. Mitch Richmond's a Hall of Famer. We trade him for Billy Owens. And then Tim Hardaway should be in the Hall of Fame. And we trade him for Kevin Willis, who was like 40. And Bimbo fucking Coles, whose nickname was fucking Bimbo. <laughs> that's how good a basketball player he was, because he had a nickname Bimbo, and he went by it. Like, that's how terrible he was. And it was just the absolute just shit trades. So just all of that. Uh, is is part of it, and then um, kind of an aside, I should have included um, in my number eleven, along with the Posey injury and the Steph injury, was the was Leonard Marshall for the Joe Montana injury, um, uh, because that that was kind of my trifecta there of three legends that you know got completely destroyed by dudes, um, and then my so and then along with that, the nineteen ninety New York Giants is an honorable mention just for ruining the three-peat, you know, Matt fucking bar, five field goal, just they couldn't even score a touchdown. They're just a bunch of stupid field goals. Um, and they, you know, beat this dominant Niner team who should have three-peated. So, um, you know, in football history, you know, nobody cares because that, that Super Bowl was one of the greatest Super Bowls ever played. But any Bay Area fan, it's just – that that 90 Giants team was just you know it's it's one thing if you lose to a team who's really really great you know the to go back to your 2016 reference with the Warriors you know the Cavs uh LeBron James and Kyrie Irving averaged 80 those last few games in that you know in that run to beat us in game 6 and 7 so it's like yeah you can be frustrated that you lost but they had an otherworldly performance you know the New York Giants kicked five field goals and I mean, it was like, and there was just, you know, and then they injured and they just trucked Montana. So it was just like, you know, and then they, and they basically ruined Roger Craig's hall of fame, you know, bid because of that fumble. Cause I can't think of any other reason he's not in the hall of fame. And so, you know, you ruin Roger Craig's, you know, legacy, you, you know, to completely destroy, you know, Joe Montana's back and you get to the, the Super Bowl won five stupid field goals. Basically, yeah, they set the stage for Steve Young starting two years later. Yeah, I mean, it's the the whole 90 Giants that shut, you know, fuck them. Um, yep. So are we tied? Are we tied at number one there for honorable mention, New York Giants? Well, uh, that, yeah, that that team specifically for me. I have 90 and 11 as, as the who that I'm referencing, but yeah. So yeah, spiritually we are tied right there. I like that. All right, so here we go. Top three. Who, who do you love to boo the most? All right. I've got at number three, I've got Richard Sherman. At number two, I've got Kyrie Irving. And at number one, I've got LeBron James. Woo! All right, Rudy, what do you got? At number three. I think, uh, although I think, I think I already know two of yours. <laughs> At number three, you'll appreciate this, Candlestick. Well, the Los Angeles Dodgers organization. <laughs> At number three. <laughs> 
at number two, Russell fucking Wilson of the Seattle Seahawks. That face, that crying face to get back to the Super Bowl. I'll never forget it. And at number one, Raymond, LeBron James of the uh, when he was with the <laughs> Cleveland Cavaliers. 100%. Somehow I knew that one. <laughs> All right. Candles like, well, what's good? What do you got? So at number three, I got James Harden. At number two, I got Tommy Lasorda. And at number one, I've got Chris fucking Cohan, former owner of the Golden State Warriors. Whoa, I am shocked LeBron wasn't sitting there at number one for you. I was positive that he was going to be right there for you. No, you know what, though? As much as I, I, I cheered your NBA Twitter, you know, because <laughs> I've, I've had my, my frustrations with them, especially during this, this safe stay-at-home a uh, few months because they are relentlessly consistently boring and predictable and it's just but um as much as i hate these bronze sexuals that obsess over his legacy i don't hate lebron at all like for me yes he'll he'll flop a little which looks stupid when a guy's that big you know and yes he'll complain to refs which seems a little stupid when you're that big and dominant whatever but he's an otherworldly talent he's one of the he's on the mount rushmore he's one of the greatest nba players of all time and then between him literally building a school and some of the other things that he's done like as a human like it's similar to Kershaw in that way like him off the floor is actually a pretty special person the you know the, all the Taco Tuesday stuff and whatever it's like there's e- there's ways to easily you know not like some of the things that he does or whatever but he's an amazing basketball player and the fact that we've beat him three out of four years in the same way that Kershaw's never won a championship it's like I don't have to hate LeBron like for for me anyway you know obviously you guys will go into your reasons but it's like for me it's like no nah, we beat him three out of four times. And and he's also amazing, and you know some of the social justice stuff he's done, and and some of that. I mean, like, so I mean, I'm I'm fine with LeBron. I the some of the LeBron fans, you know, and I'll get to the James Harden fans too in, in a minute. But those guys are the ones that really you know make me frustrated because it's like you don't have to like I don't have to piss on LeBron James when I'm talking about Steph Curry. Like that was two of the greatest ten to fifteen players we've ever seen in the, in the history of the game. When Durant showed up, now we have three of the top 15. And we got to see him play, you know, that many times against each other. That's amazing. You know, it's like, but this this era doesn't want to even acknowledge it. You know, and I think with this the last dance doc that we're, we're in the middle of now with the, with Michael Jordan and, and Scottie Pippen and these guys, you're, you're reminded that those guys were in this same category, that they were that great. And when I was a kid, I hated Jordan because he never stopped winning. It was annoying. You know, but you watch this doc and you're like, man, that guy was damn good. And I and I knew that too at the time. You only you only hate the guys that are amazing. You know, if a guy's terrible, you'll, some of these guys on these lists that we have that are nobodies, it's because they did one thing. You know, the, like your Joe Flacco example, he didn't do that much except for the biggest game of his life, and that happened to be against our favorite team. It's like, well, fuck. Right. He's like Scott Spezio. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why'd you pick that game to finally show up? Like that's bullshit. You know. But you know, so. Every other one you have that's a villain is because you you know that they're amazing because they matter. They did something to your team. They dominated your team, or they just beat your team, um, or they beat them all the time. The way that we've mentioned with guys like you know Favre or, or uh, Russell Wilson or whoever. Nice, I like that. That's good. That's good, and you're you're absolutely right. 
and then I will spend uh, my turn when it's my turn convincing you otherwise. <laughs> well, but that's the beauty of this, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're supposed to be biased and subjective and just shred people's opinions. <laughs> so, Ray, Ray, break down your three. Uh, Richard Sherman, just because before he became a Niner, and and don't get me wrong, let me let me preface my my spiel by saying that I really like Richard Sherman right now. I like him a lot. Uh, I I would even. I would even don a jersey of Richard Sherman. That's wow, that's awesome. Just because he plays on our team and he was instrumental in getting us to the Super Bowl this past season, even though his performance in that Super Bowl wasn't anything to write home about. But he wasn't the reason we lost. I, I thought the whole team collapsed in the, in the second half of the fourth quarter, but that's another pod for another day that we'll never do. Uh, Richard, <laughs> but Richard Sherman goes down. Richard Sherman's mainly on my list for all of the shit-talking disrespect that he did prior to becoming a 49er and it wasn't until the Seahawks started to disrespect him that he you know started to have uh, you know a, I, I feel like felt like a part of him matured once he realized that the team didn't love him as much as he loves himself and but uh, the one moment that really stood out to me that that was like I I've got to have him on this list at a high on a on a high number was that disrespectful Thanksgiving celebration on the 50 yard line after winning the Thanksgiving game. Not only it's like, I'm trying to have a nice time with my family enjoying a a great meal and to have it get shit on by a good player that wins on a day that I was, I'm like, yay, I get family food and football. This is the, the greatest. And to have it end that way, Oh, it left just a sour taste in my mouth. It, it like that Thanksgiving was not fun in, in those uh, in the, those latter hours there. And they show that I, clip all the time to this day. They do. Still see that stupid ass clip. And they shouldn't because uh, you know they never did that crap again. Because I thought it was I thought it was. Uh, I've never seen them ever do that on any no, other game. Because it was very it was a very distasteful way to end the football game. I was like, you have the other team, you have the winner. Be, I mean, I, I, I suppose it would be somewhat okay if it was the home field, but the fact that it was the opposing team that won and then they get to celebrate on the opposing team's 50-yard line on a national broadcast, it's like, come on. That's like, that's low-brow shit. That's Bush League. Uh, Kyrie Irving, for the fact that he was, um, again, this is somebody who I think is, he's very good. I'll give him that. I think he's a very good basketball player. Even though he is fragile and gets injured all the time, he's he's kind of like kind of reminds me of Jimmy Ward for the Niners today. He's a glass cannon, you know. When he's healthy, he just blazes and and you know is one of the craziest uh, layup finishers I've ever seen. Somehow he can just get the ball in there, no matter how many defenders are trying to uh, swipe that ball out of his hands. He's just an a, an incredible finisher. But he's mainly there for the 2016 effort that he put in to thwart uh, the Warriors. Uh, some people call him a Warrior killer. He hasn't done it since, so I don't know if I'd go that far. He just happened to be a very good Warrior killer in the latter three games of that series when it counted most, and his back, their backs were against the wall. And LeBron James, just because, um, you know, again for 2016, but, I mean, I've, I've hated him his entire career. But, I mean, to be fair, Candlestick Will, you make a very good point. He does do a lot of terrific 
philanthropic things that um, I have nothing but positive admiration and respect for. But when it comes to the court, the same way that that same way that Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, Larry Bird has this facade that he turns on when he played on the court and he hated Magic Johnson, the player on the court. But outside of the court, he embraced him and brought him into this house and they became friends outside of that because, you know, he realized that, you know, especially when Magic had, you know, got diagnosed with HIV and all that stuff, you know, Larry Bird was very uh, comforting to Magic because there was a side of Larry Bird that could turn off and and saw the the humanity in Magic Johnson, the person off the court. Uh, you know, I I have that dichotomy with me with LeBron James, his off the court persona, uh, although his his social sometimes his social media stuff gets on my nerves too. But for the most part, he does good things for his community, and that part is always going to be commendable, no matter how how much I hate him on the court. But on the court, there is no love whatsoever, especially for the 2016 ever. I couldn't stand him in when he was a in a in Miami for the Miami Heat. I can't stand the shot of him celebrating his very first championship and the dance and the expression on his face. Get the hell out of here with that crap! I couldn't. I was I was a big. Um, I, I I really enjoyed. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks, so I was happy to see them uh, win the because I, I I was a big fan of Steve Nash and Dirk Nowitzki um, when they were both playing together. Just a fantastic duel of basketball players. That I, I wish Nash could have won a ring before he ended his career, but I was happy to see Dirk get it against LeBron. That was amazing. Um, I was so happy for Dirk and happy for them. Just I, I love the fact that they went to four straight championships and they won back to back, but they also or, or they they. They mm-hmm. lost the first one, won the two middle ones, and lost the last one, right? I think that's how it yes. played out. The San Antonio um, Spurs beat them by the largest margin a team has ever lost in NBA Finals. Yeah, it was embarrassing. Like, like they got their the, asses the, whooped and destroyed. Right, right. The, the loss was so bad that it broke up that super team. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's why he's on my list. I, I gotta have. I had to have him on that list just because I've hated. I've hated his on the court presence his entire career, and I I couldn't stand that 2016 comeback. You know the fact that it was the first in, in NBA history against against my team of all teams uh, when when we were on a historic run to be to be put just a notch above the uh, you know the infamous uh, Bulls team that won uh, 72 and 10. Boom. All right. So the Dodgers organization at number three, uh, similar to what you said, uh, I agree. I think this is the second greatest rivalry in all of American sports. I do believe the Yankees Red Sox is the number one, but number two, right underneath it, Giants Dodgers. And get your get your Bears Packers out of here. Get your UNC Dukes out of here, which we talked about. And I respect all those ones. Get your Niners Seahawks out of here. Nothing touches Giants Dodgers. It is a, a, a doesn't matter what sport you got to you have to go Yankees Red Sox as the number one American sports rivalry and number two Giants Dodgers without question. And and even though Kershaw I believe has been the face of of this last decade. I I had to put the 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 organization, and I think you've kind of got it flipped with Tommy Lasorda, and I have a, it's a little bit flipped for you, um, but yeah, I was like I I just can't stand the Dodgers, and the fact that we have been able to achieve so much success, we have a dynasty, they have one of the if not they've had the largest payroll for the entire decade, and have 
consistently, not only collapsed in the playoffs, collapsed in back-to-back World Series. It's amazing to me. I love this. I have enjoyed this run for them. It has been an absolute pleasure to watch us achieve a dynasty and then follow that up with the with the Dodgers cough up a dynasty <laughs> like basically lose the equivalent of a of a dynasty in baseball lose that many that many postseason runs it's been incredible but yes I can't stand the team I can't stand the fans I put Do- Los Angeles Dodgers organization of which the stadium. I don't care for that stadium. I've been there four times, the uh, three times for Giants games. The Giants lost all three of those games. I'm never going back. And the only other time I've been there was for Paul McCartney, and that was the most fun I had there. Uh, but yeah, I can't stand the team. I can't stand the colors. can't stand the fans. can't stand anything about it. Dodgers organization, no question at number three. Number two, Russell Wilson. I mean, we've kind of been beating him up this entire <laughs> podcast. Uh, I put him at number two because the Seahawks have been uh, equally as relevant and more su- have had more success this decade. We've gone to an NFC championship every single time we've been in the playoffs for this uh, entire decade. But we've only gone to the playoffs four years, and we had a pretty big gap in the middle, and we lost two Super Bowls. The Seahawks... Have been in the playoffs from twelve, all, I think, straight through. I don't think they've missed once. Raymond, have they missed once this decade? I'm not. I don't think so. I don't think so. And they have also two appearances, but they have the one win. And hey, I, 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 I'd take. I'll take one of one of the two. Having just won one of the two would put us right up there with the Steelers and Patriots for most Super Bowls. So, and he has been more than even Pete Carroll, the French, the face of the franchise. And yeah, that face drives me fucking nuts. Uh, <laughs> fucking nuts. Uh, and I then like it, how we our disdain is so bad that it gets personal. Like, <laughs> it oh, does get face. personal. Oh my god! <laughs> Fuck those dimples. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, at number one, LeBron James from the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, his 2014 to 2016 run. Like you, Raymond, I also have rooted against LeBron James pretty much his entire career. Um, I don't always think he's been the best teammate. Jordan was very demanding, very hard on him. But there's a there's a selfishness to to LeBron that doesn't even that Jordan never had. I'd say probably Kobe had it. I really love Kobe. I was also a Kobe over over Bron guy. Like that was a big thing, you know. And I was always I was always Team Kobe. Um, I feel like Bron was kind of the same thing, just more petty, a lot more petty, and honestly, shrank in the big moments, and and has shrank many times in the big moments. And I think the I've said this many times. His three most famous playoff highlight clips. At number one is the block, right? The block. That's a block. That's the number one. Number two is him. Uh, is his nut punch? The nut punch from Jamond Green. And number three is Ray Allen's three. So two of those things aren't even basketball plays, and those are literally the the most the, the most famous plays of of postseason LeBron James. The third one is done by a different player. Because that's who had to save him. He wouldn't even have three rings if it ran and save his ass in Game Six against the San Antonio Spurs. And uh, I, there has been a pettiness to him, a selfishness to him that I've never appreciated. the The Warriors were the antithesis of that. They 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 win as a team. They die. They lose as a team. And LeBron, if everyone loses, it's everyone else's fault. And LeBron thinks it. And and his his the the Bron sexuals as as you hilariously called them believe it. <laughs> and every time they win. It's because of LeBron. They never lose because of LeBron, and they only win because of LeBron. And it's never about 
Cleveland, and I don't care what he says. It's not about Cleveland. It's not about Miami. It's not even about the, L- the L.A. Lakers. It's about him. It's about him and his trophies and his legacy. And e- every team he's ever been on has always just been a pawn for him building his legacy. And he's never going to be Jordan. He's never going to be Jordan. Like, I, it's never going to happen. I, he's not going to get six. Uh, he might get four. It really depends if they if they bring back this season. There's probably a good chance he he gets four. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what uh, what Kawhi and how the Clippers look uh, if if this season comes back. I really don't think this season's come back. I think it's going to get canceled, personally. Um, but the uh, yes the the uh, I agree. Um, I'm not going to add to. I don't really feel like saying compliments about LeBron, but I do agree with what you guys have said about about him as a person, and I do agree with those things. You you nodded you nodded when we were saying those things, so we we, we have it. We, we got, got it. it right. You got it right. <laughs> For those of you listening at home, I did not. <laughs> so uh, that is true. Um, but the 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 pettiness, the selfishness. Uh, the, you know, he he has a long history of being very hard to play with. Kyrie Irving famously left. You know, um, he left the Heat, and uh, that you know there was a lot of always there was a lot of uh, well publicized tension there. Um, you know, he's famous for getting many coaches fired. It's just it's just, it's always the LeBron show, and it's never about the team. It's never about the city. It's always about him, and that's kind of probably the thing I've always disliked the most about him, and why I've appreciated. Uh, why I've really had really never been able to appreciate his run as a player. And um, essentially, you know, kind of going back to the Warriors, you know, the, the back to the KD signing. But that's exactly what LeBron did. LeBron just jumped from two super teams and then made a third one. That's exactly what he did. But, it's, but he was he was very smart. Uh, he, he did what KD did. He jumped. Now, he didn't jump to a team that beat him, but he made that jump. And he tried to recruit, recruit KD once KD decided he was going to leave the Warriors. He tried to recruit him to the Lakers. You know, so it's not, which which the 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 bronze sexuals. I love that term. The bronze sexuals never ever talk about. <laughs> he tried to recruit him. He tried to get Katie to go to L.A. So I don't even know what they were talking about. Uh, but I digress. Um, yeah, it, you know that's that's the thing. You know, when Curry and Clay finally retire, and hopefully they retire as Golden State Warriors. But when they do, uh, everything they will have done will have been in service to the team and to the organization, and to the fan base that they love. Uh, very much even the way Kobe, even Kobe had that. Like, as co- selfish as Kobe was, you 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 can't say that he wasn't the most diehard Laker, that he didn't live and die for, for the, the, the wine and gold. Like, there's no question. Like, it's selfish. He didn't play, he didn't play for anybody else. Didn't play for anybody else. Uh, you know, came back and, and, and uh, was a very visible active participant in in the legacy of the Lakers after he left and and he personified the success of that team as much as Kobe was about Kobe you never ever question his loyalty to that franchise and and you never ever question his love for that team LeBron doesn't love anybody but LeBron and LeBron is all about whatever whatever team can get him a championship and it's again you know and I've already said it you know but I will say it one more time because it makes him feel good it's never been about the organizations the fan bases or the teams it's always been about him and that's I just have never appreciated that about him and uh luckily our our guys and our teams uh our warriors team it's never been about that it's been about the team and it's been about in service for the entire organization and I'm super proud of our dudes for that and uh yeah yeah, not a LeBron fan. <laughs> All right, Kelsey, well, your turn, buddy. So at number three, I had James Harden. Um, easiest player in the league right now to dislike. Um, he's, his 
brand of basketball is just ugly. You know, he's, he's one of the most talented basketball players in the world. And instead of showcasing that skill night in and night out, he hunts for fouls. He flops. He does. There's not a single thing he does on the court that is fun to watch because the only thing that's even impressive to watch is his ability to dribble and find ways to get threes, you know, for himself and his ability to take some big shots and make them every once in a while. But watching him dribble for 23 seconds and then huck up a three at the, you know, at the shot clock expires isn't fun basketball. You know, that's, that's horse. That's not basketball. And so it's just his brand of basketball is just ugly to watch. And especially because of the way the Warriors have looked as a basketball team the last five years. Uh, you know, you mentioned Greg Popovich. You know, the Spurs the last 20 years is is beautiful basketball. You know, and people that are that are too, um, too young to have seen it in, in person, when you see some of these highlight clips and packages they're showing in the, in the Last Dance documentary about the Bulls, you see just how talented that group of basketball players were as a team playing together. The ability to play team defense, the ability to pass, the ability to find the open guy. It's, that's the kind of basketball that I love to see. And, you know, hunting for triple doubles and hunting for fouls and not hunting for wins. You know, it's when it comes to May and June, Harden just doesn't put in the same effort that he does to try to win scoring titles and MVPs. And it's just, it's so easy to hate the guy. And it's, it has nothing to do with his skills. It has to do with how he's using those skills. That he's implementing them in the ugliest way possible. Um, because they, people have told him that that's the way to win. Because free throws and three-pointers, no matter how you get them, is how you win games. Because statistically, that's how it should be done. You know, And it's like, no, I'd actually rather watch a fun basketball game. You know, for the you know for all the the, the hate that a, a Kyrie Irving might get, you had mentioned this Ray when you were alluding to him is that he's one of the best um, you know guys in the leagues in maybe history at getting to the basket and making a basket. You know, it's that's incredible to watch sometimes the way he can dribble around guys and get to the basket and find ways to to get a layup in all these different ways. You know, looks like. Dr. J and and Michael Jordan and and some of these guys in a way because they just find a way to score and it's beautiful to watch. And for James Harden to make that same move, just to jump into a guy for two free throws is just ugly. And so it's just, it's, it's easy to hate him. And then in a very Clayton Kershaw way, it's so enjoyable to watch him choke every year without fail. He he almost made my honorable mentions list. I got really really close. And to yes and you, nothing drives me more nuts than when he goes up, pulls up for a three, lands three feet in front of him on top of the defender, and then yells at the ref, expecting a a a, a foul. It, it's it's unwatchable. Yeah, it's it's just, it is really ugly. Um, at number two, Tommy Lasorda. You know, we we you and I. have mentioned the Dodgers already enough on this. Uh, he he was the the manager that was. He's a, I mean, he's a damn good manager. He was a, you know he was a damn good manager for a lot of years. 
but he was the guy that was the easiest one to hate of that group, you know, because, you know, when you're a manager for a long time, you out, you in a, in, in a way, you know, not literally, but you outlive the players, you know, players come and go, you, you know, some guys are only Dodgers for a few years. When a manager's there for 20 plus years, then it's so much easier to hate the manager than it is to hate the players because you're really just hating the Jersey. You know, you're hating laundry and Tommy Lasorda was the human in the laundry, you know, for multiple decades. And so it was, it was, he was an easy guy to hate. And he was the, the, the main figure of that, you know, Dodgers era. Um, so growing up, that was just, you know, he was the go-to as definitely the, the, the one guy I hated most, uh, uh, that wore Dodger blue. Um, and then number one, um, you know, I think the, these lists are showing that, you know, we're, we're going to hate guys who hurt our teams and we're going to hate guys who were part of our teams that hurt our teams. And Chris Cohan was the worst owner in sports history. He, he, if you actually look into the history of him, he was a minority owner who basically sued other owners to get better, to get more of a controlling ownership. So he was, he was basically a, um, an asshole from the beginning um, and basically stole the Warriors from other owners. And then as soon as he get, came in, there wasn't a single good decision his entire run. Like, I mean, literally, I, I mentioned some of the, the draft busts and, and some of the terrible trades, but I, I literally ended up making a webpage that just chronicled, you know, his just in, just insane uh, consistency of just horrible moves. And then to me, what tops it off and why he's number one for me is when the Warriors finally, after 13 years, make the playoffs and the We Believe team gets in the, gets into the playoffs after just year after year of just terrible basketball, he blows that team up. And he blows it up because him and the his hand-picked um, front office guy, Robert Rowell, didn't think they got enough credit for the We Believe team. And it's like, you don't deserve any credit. Don Nelson came in, made all the decisions. He's the one that brought the guys in. He's the one that traded for Baron Davis. He's the one that traded for uh, Steven Jackson and Al Harrington. The only reason we have, and he, he's the one that brought in Matt Barnes. The only reason we have this team that we have right now is because of him, not because of you. You have nothing to do with this. Chris Mullen was the general manager at the time. He was the one you know helping make the, make these moves. So it's it's not it's nothing to do with you, dude. And the fact that he wanted uh, he wanted the credit and then ended up, you know, him and Raul got rid of uh, Baron Davis and then got rid of Stephen Jackson. It was like, nah, man, fuck that guy for life. That guy, you know, when when Joe Lacob uh, bought the team, it was it was one of the greatest moments in Warrior history. We were all hoping it was going to be Larry Ellison because of all the money he has. And because we didn't know who Joe Lacob was, and it turned out Joe Lacob was the best thing that ever happened to the Warriors organization. Um, as it turned out, obviously him—he's not as big as Steph Curry and, and others, but um, but that transition from Cohan to, to Lacob is one of the the best 180s in sports history. Because um, you know we might see that same 180 um, the, with, the, with the way that the Clippers are looking, going from uh, going from Donald Sterling to Steve Ballmer just because of how disgusting a human being Donald Sterling was. Um, and the fact that Steve Ballmer is literally going to get a stadium built and, and spending all kinds of money to make them a perennial uh, powerhouse. And the fact that he got Jerry West, you know, shows that he knows what he's doing. Um, but Chris Cohan, man, he's he's the worst owner in sports history, in my opinion. He's the worst p- 
person connected with Bay Area sports forever. And I don't think they'll ever be someone worse than him. The Yorks, the Yorks were pretty shitty before they let Jed take over. Yeah, if we had done if we had done this list a couple of years ago, I'm I'm sure you guys both would have had had the Yorks at least in honorable mentions, yeah. if not somewhere on the list. Well, I kept thinking of like uh, the opposing teams. I mean, I, I obviously I put Jerry Jones on that list, but uh, I and I did put Kyle Williams on the list, but I didn't think it wasn't until you were talk till you were going through that just now that I was like, oh man, I was like Doctor York and Denise York were horrible. I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking about Doctor York and how bad he was when you were talking about um, uh, Chase Cohen. I was right, Chris Cohen. I'm sorry, that's how I say his name. Uh, Chris Cohen. I I, I took a, I took a class at Senate State and. Um, we had a, we had uh, Dr. Harry Edwards come in as a guest speaker, and um, and he brought up a a story that um, w- about York, where uh, when Mariucci was with the Niners, he was his agent looked into um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, to see about signing with them because he wanted to bring them into the the fray so that they could get more money. Um, for Mariucci with the Niners and York heard that and said, you're, that's it. You're fired. And it was like, wait, what? <laughs> but it was like that, that kind of irrational behavior is just, it's, it's just, it, it's ignorant and it's petty and it's stupid to treat a sports franchise like that. It's like, that's what guys do. An agent's paid to try to bring something to negotiate with. And if there's other offers, then they can hold that against you. It's like, you're a billionaire owner, you know, deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. It took him a decade to, to, to get his head out of his ass and put his son, put his son. But yeah, I mean, and even, even that, you know, the, the nepotism of that and, and how that could have easily gone, gone to shit had, uh, Lynch and Shanahan not, uh, done what they've done the last couple of years. Absolutely. Uh, how do we feel guys? You know, I feel like I got a lot off my chest. How do you two feel? You could just kind of, even though nothing changes, like everything still happened the way they happened, it, it you kind of feel like you know what these guys are all on my shit list and it's all out in the open now and yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it does feel like we just talked to a, a, a therapist about about our sports problems. Absolutely, <laughs> top eleven therapeutic sports discussion. <laughs> this, this is this is this episode's evergreen for everybody but me. <laughs> i'm not gonna re-listen to this <laughs> so candlestick will remind the audience again what's our next top 11 episode so we did this one specifically because we wanted to to shift into movie villains um and we thought no better way to transition than with sports villains to start so the first topic is going to be action movie villains so uh when you don't see your favorite superhero or you don't see your favorite you know sci-fi um, uh, villain or you don't see your favorite horror villain uh, on our list that first week it's because we're sticking to the that genre so just the the action movie villain so that's where we're going all right so that'll be our next top 11 episode also the official NFL season. The order of the games, all of that is coming out on Thursday night on the NFL Network. Next week, we will be discussing what the 49ers regular season will be. That'll become sandwiched somewhere 
in between our top 11 tournaments. So we'll be going through our villains episodes as Candlestick Will just broke down, but we will be bringing you that episode to the, to address what the final 49ers regular season schedule is going to be pending, obviously, everything that's going on with COVID. Um, that is obviously going to be the most important factor to whether or not this season even happens. But we will we will be breaking down um, those games and the teams and w- what they look like last year versus compared to what they're going in this year. And so that'll be a fun episode as well. Um, some modern sports content in the mix of our first ever venture into a top 11 list uh, tournament that doesn't have anything to do with sports. It'll be the first time we've done this, but we're really excited and uh, we think you guys should be too. This is going to be a kick-ass little villains tournament. Uh, villains are more fun. We we were talking about possible heroes and we all came to the conclusion villains are just more fun. All right, guys. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa the first, baby. And our esteemed co-host, Candle Stick will boom we'll see you next time same gold cast time same gold cast channel this is, is the gold cast